Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is still not entirely sure what day of the week it is. I'm Kevin Day. He's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. I can see some questions in front of me, Kieran, so I guess it must be Monday. Uh, um, Happy New Year to you, Kieran. Happy New Year to all our listeners all over the world. Yes, yes. uh, I hope uh, hope 2022 is going to be uh, a better year for everyone than than 2021. I can't think... uh, yeah, unless you were unless you were snogging Matt Hancock, it must have been a pretty bad year for everyone. Yeah, the trouble is, Kieran, that almost exactly a year ago, we were both saying, "Well, welcome to 2021, everybody. It can't be better, can't be worse, surely, than the year we just had." And lo and behold, it was. Yes, yes, it was. Um, but we've been we've been kept sane by each other's company, Kieran, and by lots of lovely questions. <laughs> so let's. Let's ask some of these lovely questions. Um, a couple of familiar themes, Kieran, but I think this time of year that's all right to revisit some some familiar themes and talk about things that we can maybe put behind us. And the first question comes from Christopher Foster. And Christopher Foster, uh, his question revolves around B Corp status businesses, which you did explain to me very patiently some stage last year. The new owners at my team, Grimsby Town, have stated that they would like to be the first football club to be recognised as having B Corp status, where directors are required to consider the impact of their decisions on workers, the environment, community, etc., which I, says Christopher, personally think is a brilliant idea. I'd like to know the thoughts of both Kevin and Kieran as to whether they also think it's a good idea and whether it should be the norm for all clubs and whether it is realistic. Well, Kieran will explain... Some of our new listeners, what B Corp actually is, but in short, you know, I think yes, it should be the norm for all clubs. Absolutely, I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, it's long overdue for a lot of businesses. Whether it's realistic or not, Kieran, I'll leave up to you. Yeah, I, I think you've actually nailed it there, Kevin. Uh, I mean, for people not familiar with uh, B Corp status, it's it, it's the equivalent of uh, fair trade for chocolate and coffee. I it's it's companies who are involved in a particular industry acknowledging that there are more stakeholders in the industry than just the owners and there's more to the business than just making a profit. And we already see that I think in football with respect to you know, fan-owned clubs with some owners who are fans who who are in it for for love rather than money. But uh, I mean, the aims of of B Corp, it, it's it is sort of a it, it's a kite mark. Uh, it's sort of an aspirational status that some companies, some clubs might seek. Yeah, are they look are they 
dealing with the club from an environmental, from a social, from a transparency, from a governance point of view, um, all of which is sort of, you know, nice, fluffy buzzwords which resonate well. Um, but if, uh, if, if if your side loses four games on the trot, then then it's it, it, we, we normally turn to the pitchfork. So um, I, I think it is good. It's, uh, it's, it's sort of halfway house between uh, a traditional limited company and a charity, i.e. the company is trying to break even, it is trying to make money, but that's not the be-all and the end-all. And, and the arguments in favour of uh, B Corps status is that um, you can actually be more, um, you can be more successful because if the focus is on the staff, if its focus is on um, the other stakeholders, such as the fans, keeping them happy, uh, engaging with them, then that that comes back as, as as part of a virtuous circle. And I think if we take a look at those clubs that we make reference to on a regular basis. Um, you know the likes of Tranmere and Accrington um, and, and and many others who do appear to notice that their fan base. Yeah, you know, we're not we're not going to be the most successful club in the world, so therefore we're going to have a close relationship with our fans, keep them informed, keep them engaged. When things turn bad, as we've seen during COVID. Those fans turn around and say, "Right, we're you know, we're putting our hands in our pockets. We're supporting yeah. the club, and so on." So, um, I think it's got a lot of merit. Um, is it realistic in in the world of Super League? I'm I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you that um, there there are some owners for whom the bottom line is the be all and end all. They've they've got a majority stake in the company, and they're not giving anything away. Uh, two questions, Kieran. First of all. Is this a new idea? Who introduced this this notion? Is it something that's always been floating around, or is it something like fair trade that a charity or an individual recognised the need for this and and campaigned for it? it it's a re, it's a recent phenomenon. Um, it, do, it, I do, think do, uh, do, do, do. exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I, which has arisen because. Uh, there is much more focus, I think, these days on um, organisations having some form of social responsibility um, rather than just focusing on trying to make as much money in as short as time as possible and and damn the consequences. And we've seen where that's got us. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it can be viewed as sort of a, a, a relatively recent, uh, progressive, uh, hipsterish approach um, and that's not being critical you know I'm I, I think it's great you know and I think especially if we if we drop the more you drop down the leagues I, I think the the more valid uh, B Corps status or having the ideals of the B Corps organization um, are um, at the at the elite level the, the people involved I, I, I can't see them wanting to engage with it yeah <clears throat> you see hipsterish hipsterish it's quite difficult to say that isn't it I, I entirely agree with you. That's not a problem in itself, but it does sort of lead you to what the other problem is. My second question is that there's a lot of um, publicity over Christmas about one particular chocolate company, Tony's, who are drawing attention to, quite rightly so, to the uh, the way uh, chocolate beans are, are produced, cocoa beans mm. are, are produced, and the way some farmers are still exploited by big companies. But the trouble is that their product is almost twice as expensive as your normal Cadbury's bar. It's the same argument with organic chicken for example you you know you and i are lucky enough were you i occasionally 
uh, lucky enough to be able to afford proper organic, well-grown chicken. But for many people, the the Sainsbury's three pound chicken is the only option. So that's the, that's the other problem with this, isn't it? There's a it it it's not cheap to do, which is unfortunate. It's not cheap to run a club properly, is it? Um, it it's not, but. Yeah, you know, what uh, I, I, I absolutely agree with you in terms of food production, um, trying to have some form of uh, enhanced welfare for the animals that you're then going to slaughter and eat um, is is expensive. It, it is more expensive than than alternatives. So trying to find a happy medium is a challenge. I, I think in the nature of football clubs, it 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 doesn't have to be. You know, being open and transparent, engaging with fans on a regular basis. Um, explaining mm-hmm. decisions that that doesn't cost clubs very much, so um, I, I I can't see that necessarily being a negative uh, for for those clubs that, that just want to make money that they they would just see it as an irritation, and and that brings us to another issue. Um, you know, we're fully aware that some of the um, large organisations in in the food industry um, are very good at box ticking, and, and they yeah. they therefore yeah, yeah. achieve that. And you, you say, well, actually, you're not actually doing very much for the welfare of uh, of you know, individual farmers or farmers collectives or or people in the industry. You are just doing it. it it's, it's the it's the equivalent of a minimum wage. Yeah, the, the minimum wage uh, is supposed to be a minimum, but it then becomes the norm in some industries. <clears throat> we had a vegan friend round uh, just before Christmas, who, in the course of a conversation asked whether I would uh, kill and eat Smudge, my cat. And I said, well, no, of course I wouldn't, but she's very gracious of me because there are no circumstances in which Smudge would hesitate to kill and eat me. <laughs> if, 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 if we'd run out of whiskers, she'd be going straight for my throat. Now, our next question comes from Ian McLaughlin, um, my mother's maiden name. I don't think we can be related because Ian's a bit too English to be a name in my family. Well, we've got 27 Kevins. 38 Patricks, no Ian's as far as I know. Uh, <clears throat> very difficult at Christmas, Kieran. But Ian McLaughlin's question is a very interesting one. Ian says that he read recently that Mateus Fernandes is suing Barcelona after having his contract terminated. Now, how can a player's contract be terminated early when they haven't committed gross misconduct, like, for example, Adrian Mewtwo? Surely clubs can't just tear up a contract because of a bad purchase. Yes, um, an intriguing one, this, and I think this is quasi-related to one of our later questions. Um, Barcelona signed Mateus Fernandes for around about €8 million uh, 18 months ago. Uh, I think it's fair to say he he didn't impress. His his Barcelona career uh, consisted of 17 minutes on the pitch uh, during that first season. I think he went out on loan as well. Uh, the downside was that, you know, having paid €8 million Euros for him, they'd signed him on a five-year contract. So, therefore, they were committed to paying wages. And as we were, you know, we've, we've discussed this before, Barcelona have a, have a have had to put through huge wage cuts yeah. uh, in order to comply with La Liga rules. So, what they did was that they said, um, we, are, we are sacking you for being rubbish, for poor performance, for right. effectively not trying. Um, and, and, they, and, and what they've done here, and Barcelona's defence would be, um, we expect a de minimis level of um, oh, right. commitment on, on a daily basis. And here are the metrics. You know, this is how far you were running during training. I oh, effectively you you were just taking the Mickey. Um, 
And that appears to be their viewpoint, uh, Mateus Fernandez's viewpoint is, hold on, um, I, I, I stayed after training on re- regular occasions to uh, try to uh, you know, improve certain elements of my skill base. I'm a committed professional. Um, you are, you're effectively saying I'm, I'm a wastrel. Um, yeah. And you know that 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 causes reputational damage. I want to be a professional footballer, so so that's where we are at present. Uh, I think I think Ian's absolutely right. It you know, it, it, does, it doesn't strike me as gross misconduct. Um, it strikes strikes me as a bit of a duff signing, and and you yeah. can't and you can't sack somebody for being not as good as his YouTube reel um, was when when you when you bought him. It's a strange one, Kira, because all – not that I read them, but my agent tells me that all contracts for for freelance jobs, if, you know, for example, if i got news for you, they, they will have a clause that says you will do the job to the best of your ability. Yeah. But if if you weren't doing your job to the best of your ability, you would, you would like to hope that management, first of all, would, would put an arm around you and say, is everything all right? Are you okay? Um, and then you say, oh, I'm sorry about – but yeah, it doesn't seem like that's happened in this situation. And if – if he if he gets the feeling early on that he's not wanted at the club, then I I wouldn't run around the training pitch that much either. So it's just it's, it does feel like a failure of management, and as you say, a failure of recruitment, which is he's become the victim of as well, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah, I agree with you totally. Um, and it, it, it's being it's being driven by Barcelona's desperation to get their wage bill down. Ah, okay. Which will come back to bite them on the bottom if he gets. Um, granted a huge amount of money as yep. compensation. Our next question comes from Matthew Gamble. Um, I did toy with the idea, Kieran, of some puns here, but I think Matthew Gamble's probably had enough of those <laughs> across his life. I was about to say, I bet he's had enough of those across his life, and I'd be <laughs> hoisting myself by my own betard. Um, <clears throat> oh, that's a clever little private eye pun there. <laughs> Matthew Gamble's question, is an, it's a question about something I'm, I've heard of, Kieran. I've been aware of it, but I don't really understand what it is. It's like the... Sunday Times rich list. I don't care who's on it, but Matthew Gamble seems to agree with me because he says, why do we fetishize the annual Forbes most valuable clubs list? I've long thought as a young man, it never made any sense to me. And as I've got older, I've got a better understanding of things. It makes even less sense now. It would appear that most of it is driven by revenue. So how are these lists calculated? Is it revenue times a factor of something? Um, Yeah, I mean, I I fetishize about quite a few things but uh-huh. for the Forbes list has never been one of them um I mean I, I actually contribute to Forbes for oh. this because they they phone me up and and they they will ask me on a regular basis about um normally about three or four clubs um about how, how I go about value because I, I I do valuation metrics um, there are a variety of um valuation methods one is to say we're going to value each club but you know, two, three, four times revenue. That, that's that's a very crude way of doing it, but it's sometimes sometimes it's the only way of doing it. If especially if clubs aren't making profits, the other way to do it is is to take your profits and say multiply them by ten, and uh, that that's the value of the club. Um, there's there is a there is a model which has been created by by former um, by, by former guest of the show who's who's now involved with Wigan Athletic, uh, Tom Markham. Uh, called the Markham multivariate model. That's that's a little bit more sophisticated, um, and that can be used. But again, um, not everybody uses it. And then you've got everybody else. It's 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 every it's it, it's a bit like um, you know your mum's secret recipe for 
for, for spaghetti bolognese and nobody can make spaghetti bolognese like my mum. Um, and I go, okay, mum, what's the secret? She said, oh, well, I can't, can't tell you everything, son. Yeah, I love you, but I don't love you that much. Um, and it, it's that there are lots of firms of accountants, firms of advisors, firms of consultants say, well, we use a, a in-the-house method and this is this is how we got our particular scores. And what they tend to do at Forbes is that they will contact quite a few providers of these things and then they'll work out an average. So uh, it is sometimes linked to revenue, as Matthew has said. Um, I, 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 my personal view is that um, there is uh, perhaps an, an over- uh, over analysis of the Forbes figure simply because Forbes is, is itself got a very very good reputation, but they don't do the calculations themselves. They they tend to uh, they tend to request them from third parties. Mm. Uh, no one opened a tin of spaghetti bolognese better than my mum. <laughs> she could open a tin. She could open two tins at once. She was the worst cook, and it drives Ali up the wall because uh, accidentally my mum made the best macaroni cheese in the world. Basically, by cutting up two onions, some bacon, grating a huge lump of cheddar, chucking it all in with the macaroni and a pint of water, and s- stirring it for about an hour, and it was the best macaroni cheese ever. <laughs> and it drives Ellie out the wall because she will spend the whole afternoon making this proper macaroni cheese. And I go, "What are you doing? What are you putting it in the oven for? What are you putting breadcrumbs on top of it? Don't do that! Don't ruin it! You've cooked the onions. The onions have got to be half raw." The whole point of it is that you find one bit of macaroni that's not cooked at all and another bit that's <laughs> literally water. <laughs> um, is, is this Forbes list something that football clubs pay attention to? Is it something they compete with? Will Steve Parrish be hoping to get Palace on it? Will, will your chairman be phoning up Everton's chairman today, we're above you? Is it, is it something that has any point at all? I, I, I think it's one of these things which is done to fill space as much as anything else. Um, the, the the Deloitte list, I, I think people take a little bit more notice of some of the other firms now because because ultimately uh, each but yeah, football clubs a bit like a work of art and and, and because they are they, they are not directly comparable um, and uh-huh. and they are unique so they so just because one you might you, clearly you you'd have to pay more to to buy Manchester United than you would have to to buy Everton you'd have to pay more probably to buy Everton than you would have to buy Palace and Brighton and so on but, but we 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 know that intuitively anyway um I, I think far too much emphasis is placed on these but having said that I, I do an annual um I, I do an annual review of valuations for the university and, and that gets an awful lot of attention um which, which I'm not necessarily not necessarily sure is always warranted but People like tables and people like rankings, especially given the tribal nature of football. Um, and I know one year I I did a valuation and I put Burnley about seventh or eighth. Um, and you you think I'd yeah you, you <laughs> think think I'd burnt the flag or something given the the reaction of some the, some fans. Well, that leads us nicely, Kieran, onto our next question. Um, and as Guy. Producer guy can't possibly have known that Burnley would get mentioned in the Matthew Gamble question. He's not getting any credit for this. It's <laughs> totally accidental. Um, also not getting any credit. And I presume that this question comes from James Ashby and not yes. James Ashby. Uh, if you're, if, if Jamez, if Jamez is your real name, I apologize to both you and producer guy, but 
James Ashby says, is there a league table of premiership clubs sorted by income, expenditure, profit per league point? I'm guessing then that Burnley may be near the top and Everton near the bottom. Well, there, there wasn't a league table of this until um, th- this question was set. So um, <laughs> I, I, I had to get my spreadsheet out and, and produce one uh, earlier today. And we're recording this on Sunday morning. Um, and then having done it, and I was actually feeling quite smug, having, having put in all of the data, uh, produce all the tables, and, and then uh, then Windows 11 decided to freeze. And oh. uh, so I had to switch the whole whole thing off, and, and now I've lost all of the data. So uh, so Microsoft, uh, Microsoft are on my naughty step. Uh, Windows 11 is a bit rubbish. Mm. Um, so... Uh, but I did manage to write down onto my mind map, of course, uh, where everybody was. And um, in terms, uh, we can't really do it on on a profit basis because um, uh, because so many Premier League clubs lose money. But if we did, uh, Burnley would be top. Um, in terms of how much it costs to earn uh, earn a point in terms of wages. It cost Chelsea four point nine million pounds per point. Wow! Uh, last season, yeah, that's, that's hard. So, so, so they must have been really cheesed off when Danny Welbeck scored in the ninety third minute. I knew, um, I knew you would engineer a way of mentioning that. I knew you would do that. If if your football games only lasted ninety minutes, you'd have been relegated already. We would be indeed. Yes. Um, but uh, the the most uh, the most successful team, the most productive team, is uh, is Aston Villa uh, in, in terms of what what they've what they've achieved. So uh, I mean, this is a function of Villa not being in the Premier League that long, and therefore their yeah. wage bill is is relatively low. Um, but um, it only it only cost them two million pounds in wages per point, and it was it was uh, it was Villa and West Ham because West Ham had a, had a really good season last year. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and their wage bill is, uh, you know, they they only are paying on average sixty k a week, uh, mm-hmm. you know. So, which which for a side which finished so high in the Premier League actually made them uh, very successful. So uh, Villa, uh, Villa and West Ham the the most efficient, and Chelsea the least efficient based on the most up to date data. So not only did you crowbar Danny Welbeck, and you found a spurious reason to mention West Ham as well. Oh, sorry. very good. That's all right. That's all right. I thought you'd known me long enough to know how much I sulk about these things. <laughs> uh, our next question comes from Sam Young. Sam says, in an interview with Ben Foster, brackets, yes, the pro goalie, close brackets, last year, hashtag United chairman Spencer Owen claimed that hashtag United are bigger than Southend United and any other team in Essex for that matter. Would the finances back this argument up? Now, hashtag United was something that briefly for sort of two months was something where everybody was talking about and now less so. Mm. Uh, so it might be interesting, Kieran, if you remind people who Hashtag United are before answering the question, although I, I would suspect it wouldn't take that much for their finances to beat any other team in Essex. Yes, from, from a financial point of view, they they are the most successful team because they actually make a profit. Um, so I, I benchmark them against Southend and Colchester. I mean, they are... They are playing in relatively, you know, in about seventh or eighth tier, um, and um, so from a from a financial point of view, um, they 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 do okay. Um, you know, the fact that they break even, they, their average attendance is two hundred and ninety two 
um, nice. which isn't is, isn't great. I mean, uh, I, I was I nearly went to Worthing yesterday, and they're, they're over two thousand at Worthing. You know, for wow, brilliant. Uh, you know, which is which is great. You know, not not non league football on Boxing Day or um, or New Year's Day is is a fantastic experience because it, it does help to uh, to blow the cobwebs away, and it's and it's not as not not at a stupid kickoff time. Um, so um, if, we, if we then look against, uh, compare them to Colchester, uh, Colchester is really weird. You know, Colchester is a club who, let's be honest, don't, don't get a lot of attention. Um, the, the last time I can really remember Colchester was when they beat Leeds United in the FA Cup in 70, 71. They beat yeah. them 3-2. It was on match of the day. Yeah, one of those proper yeah. match of the day matches. Um, and that, that was, uh, but, you know, they're, they're a side that you'd think would be, Operating on a solid basis, but they, they, their losses are over thirty million pounds. Yeah, the king, you know, the, whoever's whoever's underwriting those losses didn't get a lot of money. As mm. for South End, um, we, we don't know the state of South End's uh, finances because the owner Ron Martin has decided he, he can't be bothered to publish the accounts. <laughs> yeah. So we've got nothing since twenty nineteen, um, but they were losing money there. Uh, but you know, Colchester they average two thousand two hundred in terms of attendance. South End, uh, uh, their, their their attendances are quite volatile because I think some fans are starting to boycott matches because of uh, Ron Martin's um, behaviour. Uh, and, and again, you know, as we've always said, if 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 a club gets mentioned once on this podcast, that's normally quite a good thing, you know, because to quite. Once they're getting mentioned once a month, as South End United have been recently, that that's not quite so good. Mm. I know I say this quite a lot on this pod, Kieran, but this is a, a plea to all our listeners. If you have any interest at all in the history of football, no matter what age you are, do a bit of research around that Colchester-Leeds game because it was the most amazing. To Alan Clark, Don Revy made Alan Clark the centre-forward play despite the fact he had a temperature over 100 and was diagnosed with pleurisy the day after. He wouldn't let the players get changed afterwards, wouldn't let go to the dressing room, made them go straight to the coach, wouldn't shake the other manager's hand um, and blamed himself because he broke his usual routine. He, he let the players, I believe, fly for the first time to the game. It's remarkable, the circumstances around it. And I know Colchester fans will say, well, we've, a lot more has happened to our club than that, but it is one of the most amazing FA Cup games ever, considering where Colchester were in the league and considering how mighty a team... Mm. Leeds United were, but so hashtag United came. Just remind people the reason they were they were set up because initially I can't remember because initially they were very because it was a kind of social media team, wasn't it? Because yeah. he said the, the chairman said he wasn't worried about getting fans in the ground, local fans. It was being financed by people all around the world. We should have done more research before we asked this question, Kieran, shouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's the first one. Well, let's start the new years. We mean to go on, Kieran. Yes. Um, <laughs> And why do you need to blow cobwebs away? You don't drink. You shouldn't have any cobwebs. <laughs> why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question comes from Alex Hemphill. Um, and I'm pleased to see this question because I didn't, when you were talking before about Barcelona and it leads up to another question later on, I was trying to work out what Barcelona had to do with hashtag United <laughs> or the line of Vienna, but I just didn't notice this one. Alex Hemphill says, does, and I think we have discussed this before, but as I say, in the spirit of um, looking back on times gone by before we move ahead, does La Liga have a pay cap? And if so, can you explain how it works, please? Yeah, well, first of all, it most certainly does have a pay cap. Um, La Liga have an army of around about 20 accountants who uh, do an awful lot of forensic work. And, and the reason why the pay cap exists was around about nine or 10 years ago, there, there were many La Liga clubs who were in genuine danger of going out of business. So therefore, they decided to to introduce the, the, the pay cap. And, and the way that it works is that it takes into consideration, first of all, how much money does a club generate? Um, secondly, it looks at uh, the, the financial commitment. So it looks at um, what are the short-term debts of the club. So if, if you have any loans which are due for repayment, also if you've got outstanding transfer fees, um, then it, it sort of deducts those, and, and whatever's left over goes into a little. Uh, you know, it goes into a little calculator, goes into a little algorithm, and, and that spits out your your wages for the year. Um, and Barcelona this year, I, I think their their wage bill is is limited to around about eighty million uh, quid, which is you know it, it was around about four to five hundred million. Fairly recently, um, Real Madrid, who have kept their finances in order, that their wage bill is about six or seven times that of of Barcelona. Um, and uh, I know people will be saying, "Well, hold on, you know, Barcelona have just signed a player from Manchester City for fifty five million pounds. Um, how's how's that going to be financed?" Um, what Barcelona have done over the course of the last six months is that they've managed to convert some of their short-term loans into long-term loans, which has some advantages, uh, certainly has advantages as far as the pay cap is concerned, uh, but it does, of course, mean that you're paying more money in interest over a longer period of time, which, yeah, it's a type of deal my Uncle Terry would would approve of (laughs) uh, because it means he can come knocking on your door on a more regular basis. Um, So so that's that's how it works. It's, It's your revenue less your day-to-day running costs, then it takes into consideration your debts which are due over the course of the next 12 months. So so Barcelona have managed to to refinance some of their debts um, and, and this is now going to give them a bit more leeway in terms of their uh, 
of their ability to pay wages. They they have the seventh highest wage cap in in La Liga. Um, that it, it certainly has some merits in terms of preventing clubs from going bust. But what it also does is it very much reinforces um, the the existing gaps between clubs in general. But you know, we are working in, in exceptional times at present from from a financial perspective. Uh, you know, on, on the back of COVID, Barcelona in particular used to make an absolute fortune not only on match days but from the um, from the museum, from hospitality, and so on. Mm. And they, they've taken a huge hit. Slightly distracted during that question, Kieran, by this pleasing image of you dressed as the Duke of Wellington riding a horse at the head of an army of accountants. <laughs> Just imagine imagine the scouts coming back. So maybe how many how many of the enemy are there? Forty to sixty thousand. <laughs> Seasonally adjusted. Let's go fifty-five thousand. Um, and talking of COVID, unfortunately, I really wish we didn't have to. Um, Jamie Mercer says on a recent podcast you did with Lion of Vienna. I presume that's a Preston podcast, Kieran, is it? Yes. Uh, yeah. You said that you predicted an Armageddon of clubs going bust throughout the pandemic, and seemed surprised and pleased, I guess, that one hadn't. In my opinion, though, says Jamie. I think the Armageddon is coming, but not yet, as clubs have been protected by things such as government grants, furlough, low-interest loans, etc. In the not-so-distant future, when these support packages are no longer available, I think that's when clubs will sadly hit the wall. Would you agree with this? Now, I do remember right back at the start of this terrible pandemic, we discussed the fact that you thought that there are possibly up to 40 clubs that were, you thought, in short-term danger. Um and luckily that hasn't transpired. But it's an interesting point from James. Do you think that this is an issue that it could take a year, two years, three years before it actually the final effects show themselves? Well, I, mean, I, I was certainly very concerned. Unless there was some form of financial support, and I, I need to—I think I think we said Preston. We should, of course, said Bolton for Bolton, line of the. I beg your pardon. Sorry, that's my yeah, yes, my fault. Sorry. No, I, sorry. I, I, um, we, we we know we know our listeners. Hold us to account. Yeah, no. Preston's Tom Finney. That loft, yeah. that loft house is bolting. Yes, big problem. If there had been no financial support for clubs in the lower league, I, I think there would have been tens of clubs that would have would have had to have gone out of business or would, would have, ha- have suffered suffered significantly. Um, what we have seen is that whilst there's been no direct government support for the industry. All of the clubs outside of the Premier League have tended to use furlough, and I think that's the right thing to do. In addition, clubs in Leagues 1 and 2 have been able to access um, grants from the Premier League, and um, I think the Premier League deserves some credit. I think, you know, I think this is what yeah, they, they should have done this. But but they but they did it. That's the important yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that has helped those clubs to survive. But Jamie's absolutely right in, in that as we're coming out of it, um, we clubs still have wages to pay. They've still got uh, the PAYE and the national insurance on those wages to pay. HMRC are taking an increasingly hard line for people who are being late. So um, we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, you know, clearly, it's the tragedy of what's happened at, at Derby is, uh, is is a cause for concern, and I think HMRC will be 
reluctant to reach some form of deal in in terms of the outstanding tax which is due because then they, they then fear that the football industry will will try to to use this on a regular basis at the same time it, it's it's in my view it's more important that we have a derby county because that allows them to pay wages in future which means mm. the HMRC will get um money coming from uh, PAY in future so yeah it, it's uh, it, it's going to be a tough negotiation that one um Football is remarkably resilient, mm. um, and there have been so many good instances of owners stepping up, of fans rallying around clubs and, and effectively donating their, their season ticket money and saying, "Yeah, okay, we, we'll take iFollow as an alternative from that. We we love our club and we want out. We we don't want this Armageddon." And by lots of people from lots of parts of football doing their bit. And that comes from the very top down to individual fans. We, we've managed to get through to where we are today. Uh, while we're on this subject, Kieran, if anybody from the Premier League is listening, if you could kindly explain to us the exact criteria by which games are called off because of the unavailability of players, I'd be very grateful because... Fans are getting really pissed off out there. There's, a, there's, there's utter confusion as to what needs to happen before a game is called off. Norwich fans, for example, I spoke to. I mean, they were they were decimated. Their squad was decimated against us, and yet it, it seemed there was no listening to, to from the Premier League to their request for postponing games. And yet, other clubs, it seems, have two or three people with tickly throats, and their games are called off. It's it's causing some resentment amongst fans as well. Because all we all we want to know, as you always talk about transparency, just tell us what the criteria is by which a game isn't happening, because otherwise, it's you know, people are falling out with each other about this, and it's 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 very confusing. Yeah, I'm not, well, I'm not, I mean, I, sorry. I, I, I was going to say that you know we we've had um, we've had Neil Doncaster from the SPFL come on twice, and I think Neil, yeah. we're going to we're going to have another ask the SPFL. Yeah. Um, we're hoping to get Trevor back from the EFL and yeah. with an Ask the EFL uh, show. And it would be really good if the Premier League did the same. So um, producer guy, I think, or myself, we'll, we'll, we'll get in contact with them. Um, and we say, yeah, we, we are, yeah, as, as we, we know, you, you're, you're a pussycat as an interviewer. You're, you, you always said you, you're, you're not backsman. We're, we're nice people. Um, and it would be good, I think, if the Premier League could could open up. Um, and yeah, you know, and it's not. It, we're not after the ratings or anything. I think it's, I think it's it's absolutely essential in terms of. There's been some bad stuff from the Premier League clubs over the course yeah. of the last uh, couple of years, and, and this is the chance for the organisation itself to say we're doing lots of good, and we, we, we've we've given them praise when they've done well as well. It's getting ludicrous. Christmas, and, <laughs> I was actually all the Palace WhatsApp groups, all these rumours. You know, Conor Gallagher. Uh, is having to eat in the car because he's not vaccinated uh, or, or he's been in contact. And it's, you know, how do you know this? It's Christmas night. Who's telling you these things? <laughs> you know, three o'clock in the morning, oh, we hear Palace have, have asked the Premier League to cancel the game at three o'clock in the morning. How do you, again, how do you know this? But it's all these all these rumours going around that Palace were one test away from having the game pulled off. And the thing is that people are preparing to go to the game. They, they want to get ready and travel they're looking forward to games over the Christmas period. And it's absolutely right. If if, if people are, are ill or, or have to isolate, then of course the game shouldn't go ahead. But it just seems that some games are going ahead for when they shouldn't and some games aren't going ahead when they should. So, And all it takes, as you say, is just come and tell – don't have to tell us. Just tell them. 
uh, tell them Gary Lineker, and he can mm. tell us. Mm. It's um, otherwise, you know, speculation just grows into rumor, which grows into unease, and that's how you know. I can't remember what comes after that, Kieran. There you go. Um, <laughs> our, uh, uh, BAFTA have gone again, haven't they? Um, <laughs> our penultimate question comes from John Brennan, and I think this is a really interesting question, Kieran, and I'd be. I'm intrigued to hear what you think the answer is. As John says, while watching tennis last year, we'll forgive you for that, John, it struck me that each player has their own kit sponsors. Now, doing something similar in football could be very lucrative for clubs and players. For example, they split revenue 25-75 from a sleeve sponsor or advertiser. You've mentioned before there are limits to the amount of advertising allowed on shirts. Thank God we're not France. But is there anything in the rules to prevent different players on the same team having different sponsors. Now, I, I, I can see a situation, Kieran, where John's got a point. You know, the, the clubs, the players all have the same sponsor on the on the shirt front, but why not have a different sponsor on the sleeve? Because the shirt belongs to the club. Ah, and okay. um, the, if, if you, again, if you, if you go to the Premier League handbook, um, and, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend this on a bank holiday Monday in January, although there might not be nothing more exciting to do, um, then the the rules are very very specific as to the um, amount of advertising. Uh, it, it's you know even the size of the the logo on the front of the shirt, the size of the logo on the sleeve of the shirt. One of the one of the sleeves is reserved for the Premier League badge itself. Um, mm. And remember, we saw recently um, with UEFA uh, preventing Ajax from using the Bob Marley. Uh, no, that's shirt. true. Yeah. And, and and that was just the wording on the neck. So so you know th- these these things are are monitored uh, very very carefully in terms of players and uh, generating revenue. Well, they tend to do that on on sort of personal um, image rights deals. Where if uh, at present we've got Cristiano Ronaldo, he's advertising for one of those. One of those apps which gives you updates on scores, and if you notice, he's wearing a plain white shirt. You know, it's not a Manchester United shirt, it's not a Portugal right. shirt, um, because they would want a proportion of the money if he was wearing the shirt. And also, it would have to be a deal coming through the club as opposed to the individual. So, um, individual players can sign deals. Um, to use their likeness, to to use themselves, um, but it, but they can't use the club uh, the club merchandise at the same time. I suppose it would be a bit embarrassing, wouldn't it, if if Wilfred Sahar, for example, had his sleeve sponsored by Nationwide Building Society, and uh, Joel Ward had Thornton Heath veterinary surgeon on his sleeve. It would be a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> um, our final question comes from friend of the show, uh, Brentford fan Stuart Hatcher. Um, Stuart says, when the debate raged about the best England football song last summer, brackets, not sure why, as the answer is obvious, new order, well done, Stuart. Not even going to close the brackets on that one because it's perfectly obvious. It made me wonder what has been the most successful football song. Heart, hoddle and waddle, living in luxury under diamond lights as a result of royalties. Is the Anfield rap still making anyone money? We need to know. What what, what I can tell you, Stuart, is that um, I won't tell you what show, but we we wanted to entice Chris Waddle on to see if he would sing uh, Diamond Lights and some producers would say, I can't even ask him, too embarrassing, surely. It's like <coughs> five seconds it took him to say yes. <laughs> uh, 
But it turns out that on his own, it turns out the Hoddle did a lot of the heavy lifting in the singing, <laughs> the singing of that song. That's all I will tell you. Um, can do we? Can we work out an answer to this? It's an uh, interesting question. Absolutely. Um, yeah. In terms of sales and royalties, it's your two friends from your profession. It's Badil and Skinner. Of course. Uh, yeah, because it's it's been out on a regular basis. It's been number one more yes, than once. Of um, and not only is it popular here in England. Uh, yeah, the, the if, if if you ever go to Germany, um, yeah, the, the yeah, German yeah. fans have adopted it as well. So yeah, it, it's uh, by by a by a street. Um, it's the most successful uh, in terms of royalties, and and the the, the people involved have, uh, have have got it. Yeah, it's a bit, bit, bit like Noddy Holder with uh, yeah with with his Christmas song. Is it possible to work out? I wonder, Kieran, where on that list, bring a pal to Palace, the anthem from the seventies. <laughs> would 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 fit. I think it was called cool. that. All power to that. Oh, If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that would be very kind of you. Please go to patreon.com slash price of football. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of Thank you for listening. Happy New Year again. In the meantime, I shall hand you over for the customary farewell for Mr. Kieran Maguire. Well, um, thanks again, gang, for all your support. Um, if you want to use Patreon, that's we're very kind, very grateful. Um, if you just want to send us some good karma, and, and we, Kevin and I, we genuinely have no idea how this works. But if you can give us a review, Spotify, you can now give uh, you can now give reviews there as well, or using the Apple icon. Um, if you give it, if you think the show's good, give us five stars. If, if you don't think it's good, then then tell us. You know, we 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 we're we're old and uh, old and ugly enough to be able to cope with this. You, you don't have to say um, nice things. You, you could you could say if, if you prefer, you'd rather the show was produced or or presented by by Rick Astley and Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, and it, and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to us, uh, but it does help us in the rating somehow, and, and that's all that matters. Rick Astley is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. I can't I can't vouch for Skippy. Uh, he tuts a lot, doesn't he, Skippy? He does. No, he always seems to be sarcastic, but yeah. Although it's handy if you've got a small child who's fallen down a well shaft. <laughs> Skippy's very good at that sort of thing. Um if you don't like the show, don't tell me. I'm a I'm a performer. I I can't take negative criticism. Tell tell Kieran and Guy by all means, and then they don't tell me. So I just happily go through the world thinking well, this must be the most popular pod ever. No one ever complains. And it's because Kieran and Guy don't tell me if they do. Bye everybody. Bye. Buy some football.